We've been doing this series on honoring God, where is my honor, and I want to open a new chapter in that today. Today, let's address God as the living God. I just read a story on the internet that I want to relate at this point. There was an old Jew in the Middle East, that, that city of Jerusalem over there, who was going to the Wailing Wall as a habit. Uh, you've heard of the Wailing Wall, which they have thought was the west wall of the original temple. Uh, I don't believe that, but in any case, that's a different story. But this fellow had been going there day after day, faithfully, for 60 years. And the story got around, so a CNN correspondent, a reporter, uh, met him as he came away from the Wailing Wall one day and said, uh, you've been coming here for 60 years, I hear. Why do you go and pray there every day? And his answer was, I pray that the Jews, Arabs, Israelis, uh, all people really, all over the world would be at peace and my family could be at peace and not at war and that every man around the earth could get along and things would be good on this earth. So the reporter said, well, how do you feel after coming and praying before this wall for 60 years? Like I'm talking to the wall. (laughs) I thought that was quite piquant. He used an expletive in there as well as an adjective in connection with the wall in the story, but we won't go there. We had an article years and years ago in The Plain Truth, I think it was. No, it was a booklet. Maybe it came as an article. It's hard to remember now, but yeah, I guess it was an article that said, why, most, why God does not seem real to most people. Some of you may remember that one. And it is true that across the world, the true God does not seem real to most people, and really, any God, in some respects, does not seem real to most people. God is defined in a lot of different ways. God can be defined as your better self, as some put it, or as a phantom or a spook, kind of a cloudy thing somewhere out in the universe. can be defined in many, many different ways. But it is, is it a living God that <clears throat> is active and that can do things? Or does it seem to most of the world if they pray, and sometimes to us, that we're just praying to the wall. That nobody's listening, nobody's hearing, nobody is caring. Is he really alive after all? Is he a truly living God, or is he not? You know, human beings don't want to die, generally. They want to continue to live, and we do all kinds of things to either prolong life or prolong youth or try to look young if we are old and try to look 25 till we fall in the grave, another subject we covered some last week. But human beings tend to make wills, 
their last will and testimony. This is what I want done after I die. Now, most of us find it hard, very difficult, in fact, to even impose our will to get done what we want done, how we want it done in our lives, in our families, even when we're alive. Now, how do we expect that we can impose our will and things be done the way we want them to be done after we die? And in fact, it seems most wills are either abridged in some way or done away with or compromised in some form or another after people die. And it doesn't matter how powerful lawyers are who drew them up, how carefully they were worded, or what was done. It seems when there is money involved or other assets of one kind or another, or even how a family is run, that... Lawyers are hired, and the will-breaking begins. And very often they can be overthrown for whatever reason, and their effectiveness removed, neutralized. And very often the money is used in just the opposite way that the will-maker wanted. So that's what we face in life today, and always have among human beings They say life or death and taxes are the sure thing that will come. So we will die. It is appointed to all men once to die, except a few who will remain alive at the return of Christ. But generally speaking, we all are destined and designed to die, to run down, to get old, to become feeble, and to die. Or die accidentally or whatever, uh, sometime during this physical Lifetime. Now, is it possible to continue? There are all kinds of doctrines that people have where they don't really die, but they live. They go to heaven or they go to hell, or they're reincarnated, or whatever your particular form of doctrine might be. I just heard recently that the Catholic Church had uh, gotten rid of purgatory. I don't know how the church does that. If it's there, it's there. How does the Pope say, well, we won't have purgatory anymore? Uh, I don't know how that works. But now you can't pay 10000 bucks and get your relatives out of purgatory. They either go straight to heaven or straight to hell, and that's the way it is, I guess. I don't, that's just a report I heard. I don't even know that it's true, really, so I, I'll not try to get into Catholic doctrine too much today. But can things be done at a whim? Is there a living God who oversees things and does things? And do we really believe that? How much do we believe it? How much does it impinge upon or act upon or have to do with our daily lives? Does it seem like God has either died or gone way off or isn't around anymore? Now, I think I can talk to this audience and say that probably among us, there are more people living here, and perhaps all, who do grasp and understand that God really is alive. But it doesn't hurt us to expand upon the subject, perhaps get it better, and have more vision of what a living God may or may not do, 
and how that may or may not affect our lives. Because this is a critical issue. There is even a scripture in Revelation that says there is a church that has a name that it is living, but it is dead. So there is a church somewhere here in the end time, part of the church of God, that has a name that it is living. But the reality of the matter, God says, is that they are dead. Now, that's a judgment that God makes, and I'm not here to call names or say who that might be or to, to pin it on any particular group. It's just a statement in Scripture. And who that might be perhaps remains to be seen, and you can speculate if you want, but uh, we won't go there. The point is, we can think we are alive, and yet we are spiritually dead. Not growing, not overcoming, not making the changes that need to be made, not enlarging upon our fund of knowledge, or however that deadness or lack of growth appears. So, if we can even think we're alive and we're dead in some respects, and I think we have to analyze that principle in light of ourselves, not in the light of some group that we might want to pin that on. Because I do believe all that instruction to all seven churches was given to all members of the end-time church, and that we need to apply it to ourselves as fits. And we need to determine what does and does not fit, and if it fits, wear it until we can get it changed. But if a church can claim to be alive and be dead, can God claim to alive, be alive and yet be dead or not exist or not have any effect in our lives? If He's truly alive and we are truly His then there should be some interaction there, should there not be? We should be able to recognize His hand in our lives. Do you see God in your life? Is He alive? Is He active? Is He busy? Is He being involved in what you were doing and what you were thinking? Or is He far, far away and as good as dead as far as your life is concerned? Those are questions that we need to look at and to honestly answer. I want to start today in Deuteronomy 5, because this is where God gave to Moses and all Israel, ultimately, the Ten Commandments. And you'll remember the story, I'll not review it all, but he came to Mount Sinai with thunder, with lightning, perhaps volcanic activity. And when he spoke... It was his thunder. And it scared people. But he gave the Ten Commandments. And I want to read a bit about the aftermath of that here in verse 22 of Deuteronomy 5. These words the Eternal spoke unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them to me. Moses says to the people. Now, there are a few times in the past the one purporting to be alive and to be God has spoken to people. Now, you would think if God spoke to you, 
that that would confirm that he really was alive and really was there. And he has done that on a few occasions throughout history, more in the Old Testament than the New, because he said he would not speak often with the apostles after he ascended. He did come back and teach Paul for three and a half years, and there have been a very, very few instances of direct contact with God since Christ ascended. But what has generally happened when those contacts have been made? In some cases, people were almost ready to wish he was dead instead of alive when he came to them on a person-to-person basis. So let's go on here a minute. And it came to pass, when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near to me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, here was their reaction now. We all wish we had a closer relationship with God, don't we? How close do you want it to be in your present circumstance? Just how close to God do you want to be? Have you ever thought of that? Now, we're all told we need to be closer to God. We need to have more of His Spirit. Just how close do you want to be? And you said, Behold, the Eternal our God has showed us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with man, and man lives. That you can hear God and you can actually stay alive. (coughs) Now, therefore, why should we die? Now, it about scared us to death, is what they're beginning to say. For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Eternal, our God, any more than we shall die. These truly frightened. Scared almost to death. They did not want to get any closer to God than they were at that moment. In fact, they wanted to get further away from God. That was their emotion. We don't want this to get closer to us. We want it further away. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived. Now, that's a rhetorical question, really, because God had never spoken in the way that He spoke to them that day out of the fire. But they could not imagine that He could be. And if there was any more of this, they figured they would die. Well, it was a pretty serious situation. How close are we prepared to be? with the living God. Now we say we want God to turn His face to us, as the Scriptures say He will, but we want Him to be smiling when He turns His face, don't we? We don't want Him to be angry. We don't even want Him to be giving a law. Now we just talked in a section about God as the lawgiver and the rule maker. Now, his laws and his rules are very, very important. And they are so important that he decided, I will come down and I will deliver these in person. And I want it to make a very deep impression. 
And indeed it did. Verse 27, speaking to Moses, Go you near, and hear all that the Eternal our God shall say. We're not going there. You go. You go get close to Him. We're not going to. And speak you to us all that the Eternal our God shall speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. And I'm sure they felt very sincere in that emotion at the moment, because they were very scared. But how long did it take before they lost that fear and began to do their own thing again? Anything he says, we'll hear it, we'll do it, just you go, you go, not us. And the Eternal heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Eternal said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have well said all that they have spoken. That included, if he talks to us again, we're going to die. God said, yes, I heard that. They have well spoken. Don't trifle with me. Don't take me for granted. Do what I say, or you will indeed die. If you don't do what I say, he says, then I will kill you. If you don't keep my commandments, you will die. That's echoed throughout the Bible. And then God made a comment about them. Oh, that there were such an heart in them. He says, yeah, you've spoken, you've said you'd do everything I say. And God knew better. He read their hearts. He knew they were scared, and when you're scared, you'll agree to almost anything. But he knew that would wear off very quickly. Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Now, is that the way it turned out? Here were people who had actual contact with the living God and saw the fire and heard the thunder and the roar of His voice, and it scared them. How much better a Christian would you be if God came and spoke to you personally and scared you this badly? What effect would it have on your life? Well, you would think, wouldn't you? And maybe you've thought about it at times. What if God spoke to me audibly, in a dream, in a vision, uh, through circumstance, in such a way that it was undeniable that God was there? Would it invigorate you? Would it... uh, cause you to turn to God and look to Him and never, ever, ever make a mistake again and never, ever, ever sin again and not to think wrong thoughts again? Would it have that kind of an effect upon you? Now, these people called Him the living God. And then they turned around and acted as if He was dead. Soon as Moses went right back up the mountain to get the commandments re-delivered after he had seen what they did, that mountain was smoking. And while Moses was up there, in probably a volcanic condition, 
they decided they would strip off and have a dance and make a golden idol. Now, they were pretty close to God at that point, weren't they? Just in the plain right below Sinai. God was in the neighborhood. God was just a little way down the street. And they could actually hear him talking. And it was as if he were dead. It was as if nothing was going on. Scared them initially, but then they went on about their business. And has it been well with them and their children forever? It is not. There's been a series of captivities. There's another captivity that is right on the horizon. We're, our, we're already slaves in our own supposedly free nation. But it's going to get a whole lot worse than it is today. Actual physical slavery. Go say to them, get you into your tents again. In other words, get out of my sight. But as for you, stand you here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. You shall observe to do, therefore, as eternal your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, and walk in all these commandments that I've given you. Now, we have studied, have we not? And we have determined that even in the New Testament, the commandments of God are still very active and alive and very valid. And if you don't believe that, go to the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, where the last apostle who was standing, as I've said before, reiterated very clearly that after everything that had been done away had been done away, that after Christ had come and lived and died and been resurrected, that New Testament doctrine, just prior to his own death, still included the Ten Commandments. And if you will earn into life, keep those commandments, that if you don't, you'll die. And if you want to define love... 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that you keep His commandments. So, if there is a ruler and a rule giver and a lawmaker, if he is still alive, then those commandments are still applicable, are they not? Now, mankind makes lots of rules, doesn't he? In all of our various forms of government... All kinds of laws, rules, statutes, judgments from judges. We have all those laws. But you know, there are lots of laws on the books that never get enforced. They get forgotten about. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of rules that nobody enforces. They pick and choose the few that they want to enforce and the rest they let go. I've used this example before. In the city of Detroit, it is against the law. There is a law against having a hippopotamus in your hotel room. Now, that seems like a silly law. But I would say, quite obviously, someone tried it. 
for whatever reason. I doubt it was a real big one, but whatever. So they made a law against that. There's a law against illegal aliens coming into our country. Is that one enforced? That's the one that's on the table right at the moment. No, they're just ignoring it. Now, we have someone here who calls himself the living God, who makes rules. Is he enforcing those rules? And I would say, generally speaking, no. He is not currently enforcing those rules. The soul that sins, it shall die. Now, in an overall sense, yes, he is. When he told Adam and Eve, if you sin, you shall surely die. They didn't die that day, but their relationship with him died a lot that day. And ultimately, over 900 years later, they themselves physically died. So some of God's rules, some of his laws are still very much in force. Gravity is still very much in effect. You, you, you just don't break that one, do you? It's just always there. It's inexorable. You fall off or jump off and you get hurt. Anything you drop falls to the ground. Because it is one of those immutable things that God has worked into the universe. And there are laws which keep our planet operating as it is and keep it going around the sun. There are rules and bounds that God has set even upon the oceans as we saw recently. So he makes some of those rules, and they are there. But he makes rules then in a different way in terms of human life, how we live, how we act, how we relate one to another, and so on. And those rules are not suspended. They are there, but they are not enforced always in the same way that, say, gravity is. Now, there are some of those rules and laws, even these Ten Commandments, that if you break, you will have harm and hurt done to you. So part of it is automatic. The penalty is automatic, if you will. In other words, if you, uh, let's say, steal, you may be put in jail by man's laws. If you trespass some of the sexual laws, you will have emotional penalties. Uh, you might have someone who is angry about that kill you, uh, but there are certain things that are just kind of automatic, even about God's laws. But is he forcing all people to keep all his laws all the time? That's what I'm really driving at. And the answer is no. He allows us as free moral agents to do pretty much as we please right now here upon this earth, does he not? It's almost as if he had died and gone away because he says, these are my commandments, keep them and live. But if we break them, we don't immediately die always, do we? No, we've all broken his laws and here we are. So it is not that he is consciously and daily causing penalties to come specifically if we break a particular item of his law. He is letting us kind of do our own thing down here. He's letting Satan do his own thing. 
Now we could get into Satan. Is he a living being? Is there a living Satan? <coughs> or is he just the evil that might come in our mind? Is he just a figment of the imagination? Is there truly a living Satan? Now, I could relate some stories of encounters with people who were demon-possessed and so on, but I'm not here today to prove that there's a living Satan or prove that God is alive because we can prove Satan is alive. I don't think that's the way I want to go about this. I want to prove there's a living God. That's more important to us. And ultimately, it leads to life where if you understand Satan is alive, it doesn't do you any good unless you also grasp that God is alive and that he does what living beings do and can intervene. <clears throat> We've already discussed that he is creator or creator and that he is almighty. Now, this goes hand in hand with that. If he is also a lawgiver, then he needs to be alive to enforce those, those laws. But he has his own time and way of doing it. Just as man lets some laws go and then enforces others or tries to enforce them, <coughs> God has given a certain amount of leeway to you and to me. He's let us choose what we will do. But it is not going to be the way that it is today forever. There will come a time when he will show that he is very much alive and he will be very much an interventionist. We have a term now, we use a modern term, whether it be with alcohol or drugs or marriage or whatever it might be, we'll have an intervention. <clears throat> That's a fairly new word in terms of people intervening in someone's life. God will intervene in the lives of mankind. We need to grasp and understand that. He may be, to a great degree, hands-off in some respects today because he made certain promises. He told Satan, you will rule on the earth, you will have opportunity to deceive the world, and you will have opportunity to almost destroy all mankind from off the face of the earth. And he is keeping his word. Now, the fact that we see more evidence in some respects in terms of man's conduct on the earth today, we see more evidence of the living Satan than we do of the living God. In terms of creation or those types of things, we see God's hand if we look. But in terms of man's conduct, lives, and what is going on in the world, there is clearly far more evidence that Satan is alive, based on what, everything we see around us. <clears throat> now, many of the world's religions look upon this as a war between God and the devil, and the devil's winning, so we've got to get out there and convert all these people. We've got to draw them to the Lord or to Jesus, or however they term it. So they think that God is losing the battle. Now, what are they basing that on? They're basing on it on the evidence they see around them of ungodliness. 
And that ungodliness scares them to the point they think they have to intervene for God. And it's up to them to go out and convert the world. The church of God, to a great degree, even though they said differently, also had a great deal of that mentality over the years. We've got to go out and witness to the whole world, and hopefully many, many, many millions of them will repent and obey. They didn't understand how much the Bible limits the first resurrection. Nor did we understand, really, what is going on. We did understand God's plan for mankind in the first, second, third resurrection, if we have it indeed uh, defined correctly, and we may. But there are some things in there that I still have questions about and exactly how it will come down. And perhaps that will come to light at some point if we are indeed uh, somewhat in error on it. But there is a plan that is very clear. And different people will have their opportunity at different times. So we did understand that. And we understood why God is letting Satan do what he is doing today. And that he is even allowed before the throne of God to accuse you and me of the things that he has to accuse us of. And... Unfortunately, many times he is correct. And if it were not for the blood of Christ that can be invoked as we pray and repent daily, uh, God would have a problem. But because of the blood of our Savior, he can say, that's all right, Satan, I understand what you're saying, but that has been forgiven and the penalty removed. What an incredible thing that is. Now, I hope God is truly alive so that this process can be repeated daily for you and for me. Because we need it, don't we? Let's go to Deuteronomy 32. Give ear. O you heavens, and I will speak. Let everyone in heaven and earth hear, for I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Heavens and earth, listen to my words. Now, the word of God is called the living word, is it not? So, a living God gives living words. Words of life. Hear these words of life. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the eternal. Ascribe you greatness unto our God. So here we are being urged to listen to everything God says to heaven and earth, and that His doctrine will be everywhere. Now, has that been fulfilled yet? Well, in one sense, it's everywhere, but it's not being listened to very much. I will publish the name of the Eternal, ascribe you greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Now, if you die, you don't work anymore, do you? Your working days are over. 
A lot of people retire and then die right away. Because if they're not working, they give up any real reason to live and they die. Well, God is the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. So this is written as if He is alive and that He has an effect. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of His children. They're a perverse and crooked generation. Now God is alive and He lives by a certain code, by His Word, but mankind has not. God has allowed that. There have been times He's pert and wiped us out, like at Noah's flood. And He's almost wiped Israel out before. And He is about to again. Do we believe He's alive and can pull that off? It could affect us, couldn't it? If God is alive and He pronounces a curse, a judgment, a slavery, a death sentence upon most of Israel, is He alive and powerful enough to carry it out? Or can we ignore Him? There are scriptures, I think, in Isaiah, maybe it's Jeremiah, but I think Isaiah, where it says they act as if I'm not alive. As if I don't pay any attention to what's going on. Mankind ignores me. Just as if I were not there. And if it's as if someone was not there, it's almost the same as saying, well, he's dead to us. Must be dead. He doesn't hear. He doesn't see what we do. He doesn't care is the way it's put. Is that a safe way of looking at things? Is that a good way to consider? They've corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They look like something else. Didn't he tell us there in Ezekiel 16? You look like Amorites and Hittites to me. You don't look like Israelites. They don't look like me. What do you do with a child that doesn't look like you? They're not usually treated too well, are they? A perverse and crooked generation. Verse 6, Do you thus requite the eternal, O foolish people, and unwise? Is not he your father that has bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Was he alive? Where did you come from? Now, what about us physically? We're here, aren't we? I see you. You're here. How did you get here? Well, your parents may have told you you fell out of the turnip truck or crawled out from under a rock and joking. But they know they produced you. And you, having grown up and begun to understand things, Understand that you were born as a human being. And that to be here, you had to have a father and a mother. Had to be. Had to happen. You really didn't crawl out from under a rock. So you know, by your very presence, 
that there is a mother and there's a father somewhere in your background, whether you know who they are or not. Now, the very fact we're here proves that somebody made us, created us, designed us from the beginning, and we're here. Had to be. Somebody had to start the process somewhere. Had to be alive. Did you proceed from a dead father and a dead mother? Were you born to a dead mother? Kind of doubt it. I mean, there's a few instances where a child was taken by C-section immediately after the mother died, but that's, you know, that's an exception to what I'm saying. Is God alive? How did we get here? Should we pay attention to Him if He is indeed alive? <clears throat> Has He not made you and established you? Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Think back. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. If you have a question about this, go to someone who has an understanding of history and ask them what happened. How did we get here? Who are we? When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So the historical fact is, we are where we are because this is the land God gave us. He supplanted other peoples and put us here, originally. And He has let us come back to where we originated. He told Abraham He would do that. Isaac and Jacob He told that. So here we are. It was given to their seed forever. Now, we were taken away in captivity, but it was still ours, and God has returned us to it. That is the fact of history. Now, there are people who say that could not be true. I don't buy that, that this is the original promised land. In which case, you simply don't believe God's Word, and it came from a living being who knew what he was talking about, because he said, I will give it to you and your seed forever. So where we find ourselves today as Israelites is where God gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forever. And we do not own or possess nor live in the Middle East. I keep throwing that in because we don't believe God's Word. What does God say? Do you believe Him? Is He alive? Does he mean what he says? If he doesn't mean what he says on that or any other subject, then why do we bother? Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Party on. But if he's alive, then maybe we better consider some of the things that he says. It isn't a question with God's people, really, of whether God exists and God is alive. But it is the degree to which we feel He is involved in our lives. How much of His life intertwines with our life. Now, there was a time we faced some very basic decisions in terms of coming to a knowledge of the truth, right? 
we put out little booklets called Does God Exist? and Why Were You Born? Because most of the world does not believe in a truly living God. They don't really grasp it. So we had to answer those very basic questions at the beginning of our Christian lives. Is there a real God? Does He really exist? And if He does, then what does He expect of us? See? We've been there, haven't we? But do we see God alive and in our lives daily? Verse 9, For the Eternal's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So God, in his will, established that Isaiah, I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, would produce a people that would continue, and that ultimately spiritual Israel would come when physical Israel failed, and spiritual Israel would qualify and therefore be a part of the kingdom of God and a part of his family in the living world of tomorrow. And he states it here. Now, as I said before, man can give his last will and testimony. And it is well named. It is the last thing that you produced as your will or your testimony. And then you die. And then people do with it whatever they please. Now, if there's a living God, he claims that he will live forever. So when he says, this is my will, it is not necessarily his last will and testimony, but it is that which he has set up that is his will that will continue to happen. And that is part of what we are told to do. As the first part of the prayer that Christ told us to pray, he said, Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, what that is implying is that we believe that God is alive, that He will continue to live, that He is eternal, that He will never die, and therefore, the prayer that we pray that His will be done here, just like it is there, will continue forevermore, and that we can live then forevermore with Him and be alive, not be a spook on a cloud or some such thing, but living and reigning on the earth and overseeing His children forevermore. Now that is His stated will in this book. And we are to pray that, hopefully on a, essentially a daily basis. This was the example prayer. Now those principles that he gave in that short prayer can be extrapolated into a very much broader arena of principles applied. And we can embellish and, and uh, expand on the few simple words. You can, in your prayer... Reflect upon the will of God and what He expects and what He wants. Our Father in heaven, 
can be expanded in terms of a lot of scriptures to include glory and honor and praise to his holy name. But Christ just gave a very few simple principles in that prayer that can easily be expanded into quite a long prayer, if you wish, at times. Using his words to describe him. That's a different subject. But we were given the inheritance which we now enjoy, this land. Verse 10, he found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings... So the Eternal alone did him, and there was no strange God with him. Now this is, remember, in the context of the giving of the Ten Commandments. God said, I showed myself very alive before you on that mountain. And here's what I've done since. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to take out of this singular event that occurred at Sinai that I am very much alive, and I very much am taking care of you, and will look over you. I have not gone way far off or died. I am still very much here. Now, there are some relationship problems. There were with Israel then, and they have continued until today. You and I have relationship problems with God. You know, husbands, it's like your wife says, we need to talk. That's used in humor by comedians and so on all over the nation and the world. Because the wives are into their relationships and you're more into, well, I'm going to go make a check that I can support us by. They are sometimes, in some ways, more emotional about those things and want to talk about the relationship more than men do. Again, another subject. But God is making it very clear here that He wants this relationship to continue. He's not afraid to talk about it, fellows. <laughs> He's laying it out for us. He's very concerned. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, verse 13, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of cattle and milk of sheep, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat, or wheat berries. And you did drink the pure blood of the grape, grape juice, the wine. So God gave Israel blessings. Here's part of the problem, verse 15. But Jeshurun, or Israel, another word for Israel, Waxed fat and kicked. You are waxed fat. You are grown thick or fat. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. This We're reading where? Paul's epistles? We're reading in Deuteronomy of all places. Spiritual things that had to do then and which are very, very real to us today. How lightly does our nation 
do all the nations of Israel today esteem God? How much do they pay attention to his words and do what he says? Take it pretty lightly, don't we? Do whatever you feel like doing, basically, is our mode of thinking today. No one will tell me what to do. I will do as I please. And you know what? God lets you do that. He's letting our nation do that, isn't he? For a while. Are we going to get away with it? We'll leave that as an open question at the moment. They esteemed him lightly. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods and with abominations. Provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed to devils, not to God. Had false gods, just like we do today. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. We've got all kinds of gods in our society today that are, in that sense, essentially new. The ultimate God, other than the true God, is Satan, but there's so much spinoff in our society. Of the rock that begat you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten God that formed you. Forgotten is as good as dead, isn't it? In other words, there's no effect, they say, upon our lives, as I quoted from Isaiah and other places. And when the Eternal saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very presumptuous generation, children in whom is no faith. Now, this gets right down to basic Christianity. The just shall live by faith. Very much a New Testament teaching. And yet these people would not live by faith in God that he was telling them the truth. Now, he had appeared to them. They had heard his actual thundering voice. And so very, very quickly forgot what they had heard. It is so easy for people to be so inspired, to be so empowered, to be so believing. One moment, and almost in the blink of an eye, they can turn around and be discouraged, depressed, not believe, disregard, do what they want, forget God. You've done it, I've done it. There have been times I felt so close to God. So, aware of God. And a minute later, my mind, my emotions, my feelings, my attitude can be totally the reverse of that. You can walk out of here encouraged, inspired, chastened, whatever. And you can forget the chastening and or the inspiration almost immediately, can't you? By the end of potluck, it can be gone. What did you think of that sermon today? Oh, wait a minute. What was it about? How quickly we can turn. How quickly we can change. How quickly we can ignore. And forget. Has anything changed? Is there still a living God? Do you still believe in Him? When we read His words, we talk about them. Does it have any effect? Does it mean anything? 
What if he walked in the door right now? It'd scare you witless. And hopefully we'd all fall on our faces. Be a very emotionally challenging moment, wouldn't it? Is he here? I believe he's here. Can't see him. Can't hear him. I believe he's here. I prayed about it, didn't you? That he would be here today? I bet you did. If you didn't, shame on you. But even if you didn't, somebody had an opening prayer and asked him to be here, and you said, Amen. So do you believe he's here? Probably so. But what effect does it have on us? I will hide my face from them. We've read many, many times in Isaiah and other places how God has hidden his face from the church today. Now, what causes God to do that? Is it because God doesn't like us or is forgotten us? It is always based on you and me. God had a close personal relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? He walked with them. He talked with them. He instructed them personally. Christ himself, right there with them. And they did what? They disregarded what he had just said. In person. And went the other way. And what did he do? He turned his face from them. He cursed them. He put them out so that they might earn their bread by the sweat of their brow with thorns and thistles and drought and all kinds of bad circumstances. It's been that way ever since. And a few times throughout history, these past 6,000 years of our existence, God has approached us and we've said, oh yes, Lord. And then we turn and do the other thing. It is not we, it is not he who departs from us. It is we who depart from him. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never desert you, never abandon you. I will always be here. He never initiates the turn away. We have always done it. And we've become so sinful that he can't stand to look upon us, so he turns and hides his face from us. Now, he, would, he doesn't leave us, but he just can't bear to look at us. And he says, wouldn't we repent and turn him to him with our whole heart, with our whole being, heart, mind, body, and soul, that we will find him. He will turn his face back to us. We have to believe he's living, that he's there, and that he will do what he says. We have to live by faith or trust, if you will, in the words that he has spoken. Now, there is a problem. Will I find faith on the earth when I return? O oh, you of little faith, very little faith that I really am alive and I really will do what I say I will do.
How much do we believe it? How much faith do we have in that? We have human beings that we know, family, friends, brethren, associates at work. And there are varying levels of faith, trust, among those people that we know. Some people you would trust almost implicitly. Others, uh, I don't know whether I can trust them out of my sight or as far as I can throw them, as we might say. So we have varying degrees of belief in people around us. Some more than others. How much do we have in the living God? Do we really believe He's alive? I think that swamp cooler is alive. It's making noise. So, he says, they've provoked him. And he, as a result, have abhorred. And he he abhorred the New Testament church, did he not? He spit us out of his mouth. As vomit. Now, we have to change something, don't we? You know, he judges us by what? He judges us by his word. So, considering us and considering this book, he saw a disparity there which he could not handle. So he vomited us out. Now that should challenge us to look in this book and find out what it was that he had said here that we were not living up to that caused a nauseous reaction that resulted in puking from God. I've covered this many times in many different ways. But we have the greater church of God. Maybe I should say the lesser church of God, (laughs) since we're not all great, but we're less than what we should be. But you know what I mean. And we have those who are trying to recreate worldwide church of God, and they think that that will be sufficient, that that's what God wants. And their thinking goes no further than that. But I'm challenging you to think about this concept and to say, why did God puke me out of the church? What was it about me that made God nauseous? Something he could not live with, but had to throw up. You know, that's really what it is when you get an upset stomach and have to throw up. It's something you simply ate that you couldn't live with. Food or drink. And your body rejected it. Now, when God took in of what we were doing in Worldwide Church of God... He couldn't live with it and threw us up, threw us out, scattered us as spittle. So there must be, in the living Word of God, something, some things that are different in us than what he wrote. Bottom line. So the challenge then is to what? What? 
He doesn't talk to us normally in person, does He? He doesn't come down when you get prayer time and start whispering in your ear. If He does, I question whether it's the true God or a different God. He gave us this. He gave us this book. And in it, we will find the answer as to why he was upset with the church and did to us what he did. Just as he was upset with ancient Israel, just as he was upset with Adam and Eve. Anytime God has been upset with mankind, you can always go back to what God has said. It hadn't been written when they talked to Adam and Eve, but he had told them. Now it's written. Been here for all generations since written. But somehow, some way, we're not accomplishing what is written here, or we would not be in the condition we are in. Now we may get frustrated at times and say, Where is God? Why doesn't He do this? Why doesn't He do that? Why don't we have the healings we want? Why don't we have the blessings we desire? He's a living God. He's our Father. He cares about us as His children. Why, then, don't we have answers to our prayers? And the answer is quite simple. We are not living up to this Word in the way that He feels we should. And since He is alive and can bless or can curse and does with us, Now, he's letting the world do their thing. And he let us do our thing worldwide up to a certain point, and then he took action. He said, I will not allow my church, the ones I have called out, to set a light and an example to this world, to be different than the world, to be like me, I simply cannot tolerate them as they are. And I won't. And he didn't. And now look at the church. Now how do we get back in his good graces? I want to pray and have my prayers answered. I don't want to be as if I'm talking to the wall. Like that Jew at the Wailing Wall. I want to know that when I call on God, He will answer. He will hear. He will act. In a blessing type of way, not a cursing way. We all want that, don't we? We want that kind of relationship. Remember Isaiah 58? If you will turn to me and fast for my reasons... And give your bread to the poor, quit being selfish, straighten up and live according to my words. Then you will call and I will hear. Then you will pray and I will answer, he says in that chapter. Isaiah 58. Obviously, we are not there yet, are we? Now, I yelled at us quite a bit last week, didn't I? Boy, what set him off? Did we forget it? Do I need to go back over that? Do I need to read you every scripture that God has about some of the subjects I covered last week? Oh, what were they? 
come to think of it. God has something to say about every aspect of our lives. How much do we listen? We're willing to change, or are we going to do it our way? Are we going to start having blessings from God, or are we going to continue to be living under the curse of being puked upon the ground? Is he alive? Is his word alive? Does it have any impact upon us? Or do we live as if he is dead? The ball is always in our court, isn't it? God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. We do not. And all his promises are contingency promises. They all depend upon what we do. How we react to what he says. Now you would think, if the greater church of God, including us, understood that we had been puked, we would be looking to find a way to get over it. Now when you get nauseated and you go barf, you want to get over it. And you will find a way, if possible, to quit being nauseated. You will remedy it some way. If you can find a way. Because being nauseated is very uncomfortable. And since we have nauseated God, He is looking for a remedy. He does not want to remain nauseated. So He is searching out a people through affliction, through punishment, through trial, through testing, through chastening, all kinds of adverse circumstances are upon us so that we might react and repent and seek Him early. Now, for that to be accomplished... You would think that people realized, or would realize, that there must be something in this book, since it is the entire Word of God that we're to live by every word of, that there must be something in here that is keeping the blessings from coming to us. Now, even we who understand that, and most of the church doesn't grasp it, they still think they're okay. We are in need of nothing. All we need to do is keep preaching the broadcast and, and recreate worldwide. It's about as far as their thinking ever goes. They don't get into it in the depth that we're talking about here today even. But even we will say things like, and I have. I'll sure be glad when God's blessings return. I sure hope something momentous happens at this holy day or that holy day. I hope now is the time. Well, I hope that. I look forward to that. But it is so easy to gloss over by saying, I hope the time has come, without saying, I hope we do our part so that the time can come. 
Now, he's going to bless somebody someday. Because some will repent and turn to him. And he says, when we do that is when it will happen. So, it's too easy for us to gloss it over and, I say, and say, well, I hope this is the year. Instead of saying, I hope I turn to God with all my heart. Because that is what is the prerequisite to him actually doing the blessing. Some people, somewhere, some way, are going to do that, and then the time will come. But he will not begin to truly bless in the way that Isaiah and others talk about until we are what we need to be. Where we accept the fact that he truly is living and he actively gives blessings or cursings based on our conduct. Now, he's fair in that he will cause rain on the just and the unjust, right? He's not going to, because we're the church, simply give us some blessings and let the rest of the world die of starvation. He isn't that kind of God. He ultimately wants all mankind to have opportunity at salvation. But he is dealing directly with us. Today, and he's not dealing directly with the world today in that sense. There is a time coming, if you believe he's alive, that he will deal with them. But right now, he's dealing with you and me. We're his focus. We're the apple of his eye, if you will, as he told ancient Israel back here. We as spiritual Israel today have become the apple of his eye, not physical Israel. And he doesn't want wormy apples. That simple. If you bite into an apple and look at it and see half a worm, it is somewhat nauseous, repulsive to you. I prefer much to see a whole than a half a worm if I got to see a worm at all. But it's unsatisfactory and distasteful to see a worm in your apple. And if we're the apple of God's eye and he sees worminess, it frustrates him. It's repulsive. Now, how are you going to bless a people that won't do what you say? How are you going to bless a people who basically, by the way they live and act, treat you as if you weren't really there, take you for granted? Let some of his words drop to the ground. Now, he said he's going to bring forth a people who will be, they'll be, can't talk, will be meek and humble, who will listen to what he says and be so responsive to what he says that they can be an example to the whole world of how God wants people to be. And you know who he's targeting to be that people? Some of you right here in this audience. And more around the world, scattered throughout his church, which has been vomited. 
But there are certain people here and there who are beginning to get the point and beginning to respond to him and really look to him as if he was alive and could do something. Not old and toothless and sitting on a throne with a set expression of sorrow on his face. But who is alive and has heat and life and emotion and feelings because he's alive. There is a small group, a few thousand people, who are beginning to think that way. And it is not long before he is going to call them together to build his spiritual temple, and I think very, very likely now, his physical as well, that it can be an example to the whole world. Something they can look to and look at as the way of God. I want to be one of those people, brethren. And I want every one of you sitting here to be one of those people. I want every one of us to be there. What's your name? What's your relationship? How much faith do you have that there is a living God? And more importantly then, how do you respond to that? A hearer only or a doer? The just shall walk and live by faith. And we need to have every day of our lives an understanding, a feeling, an emotion, a belief that God is alive and He is interacting in our lives. Because we are seeking Him. And He says, seek and you will find. The challenge then is to take this book and find, find out why we nauseated God and then rectify that. Fix it. Solve it. Cause Him to turn His face to us in pleasure and happiness and joy and kindness and love so that our fast days can be turned into feasts of joy. Do you have a dead relationship with some of your children? Do you have a dead relationship in your marriage? Do you have a dead relationship with relatives, past friends, friendships that died because of inattention or misuse or abuse on one or both parties' sides? Do we have a relationship with God that was dying and almost died and which was almost severed and He turned away and puked us out? Then what are we going to do about that relationship? How are we going to fix it? You know, when marriages begin to fall apart and become almost dead... What a challenge it is to try to fix that which is broken. I use that example because it's a common one. And anyone who's been married has faced it to one degree or another. 
When a relationship is hurt, damaged, it's hard to repair it. Old memories come back. Things are said in anger. Things we might not really mean but say because we're angry at the moment. Later we say, oh, how did I manage to do that? We've all been there. And we damaged it with God because we didn't believe that His Word was alive and He was alive and that He could bless. We took Him for granted. We thought we were okay. I rich and increased with goods, got my ticket to place of safety, and everything's hunky-dory. Oh, brother, were we wrong. Now, how deeply, how diligently, how carefully, how faithfully do we look in the living Word of God and find the answers to repairing the breach, to fixing the relationship toward being prepared to be married to God, the living Christ. I'm not saying these things as chastening today. I'm saying these things as a challenge. Find the answers to the problems between you and God. Fix the relationship. I can't fix your relationship with God. You can't fix mine. We can talk about it here. I can read His Word and apply it to me and hope you can apply it to you. But you're the only one that can fix your relationship with God. That I can actually do it. So that He comes alive again to you. So that it doesn't seem like He's way off and far off and you're talking to the wall. That is a very bad, morose, awful feeling. As if you're talking, some of us might say, to the ceiling or to the wall. And getting nowhere. It can be discouraging as a body, a church, a group the body of Christ, if we're not getting the answers we would like to have. And it isn't that God is not willing to provide them. He says it is His good pleasure to give us His kingdom. His good pleasure. Nothing would make Him happier and have Him kick His heels in glee than to give us the kingdom, salvation and honor and glory forevermore. That's what He created us for. It's what He had in mind when He designed us. But it is we who have gone astray and thought He was a dead God. An unresponsive husband, if you will. A recalcitrant wife. A rebellious child. It is we who have departed from Him. It is we who thought so highly of ourselves that we weren't really working at growing and overcoming and thought we were doing okay. We were in the church. And it wasn't enough. Much is enough. Exploring, turning with your whole heart is a never-ending challenge. Because by nature, our hearts are deceitful. They are desperately wicked. And they are selfish to the core.
And we have our own view. Is your own view going to save you? Is your own view going to bless you? Is hardening your jaw and stiffening your neck going to help you? Why do I need to bring up these things that are hurtful and painful and make your toes crawl in your shoes? Because you know they apply to you. And yet, you go on as if nothing was said. Why do I go on as if I did not say it? It's in here. And we act as if God really isn't even there. If He isn't alive. If He can't bless and He can't curse. And we expect Him to bless us Bingo, because the day has arrived. No, we have to arrive. We have to explore this book. He said you have to search His Word as if you were looking for silver or gold. Frantically. Gold fever. Truth fever, if you will. Honesty fever. To turn to Him and not look and act and think like the world, but look and act and think like He does, so that we can be an example to the world. As a human being, we try to get by with the bare minimum. To change as much as we absolutely, or change as little as we absolutely must, to keep from getting kicked out or the death penalty or being chastened individually or whatever it might be. We get by with as much as we can. That's human. And we got by with quite a bit for quite a long time in the church of God. And we couldn't get away with it anymore. God came down on us. I'm sorry. It's not pleasant. But it's what happened. Now what are we going to do to fix it? How faithfully are we going to look into this Word and find out what's wrong with me? Not our neighbors, not our friends, not our relatives, not the preacher. Me. What's wrong with me? Because you're the only one you can fix. You can talk about each other and we can bite and devour one another. But we can't fix each other. We might encourage one another a bit, iron sharpening iron, but it's really down to each one of us individually what does and does not change. Personal. We're a body. And we all hurt each other because if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And everyone in the body was lackadaisical and lay it a sin, and God spewed. So now, we have to individually find out why we got spewed, and fix that. And then we will find that there truly is a living God, and He will hear and answer, and will not be talking to the wall. <laughs>